welcome to the Junction Church Aberdeen podcast. We're so glad you chose to listen to this life-changing message. Tonight, I kind of want to, because it's a Sunday night and we're we're a smaller crowd than we are for Sunday morning, and wasn't this morning incredible? Um, a breakthrough morning and it was one of the, the great Julian said he said that has to be the best atmosphere I have experienced in this church yeah. and uh, I went thank you Julian I'll take that one and uh, it was it was uh, it was if, and the, the, the church is in such a special place and and um, we just love what God is doing and and um, just so excited by the faith that has been released and and uh, so um, but tonight what I want to do is, uh, I'm not really going to, I've kind of let, slightly let the cat out of the bag. I'm going I'm to, about how we're structuring and what we're doing for the vision of the church. So instead of letting the cat out of the bag, I'm kind of, I'm going to open up the bag and let you have a look and close it again. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, but see, but God is causing us to restructure and, and uh, put new people in place and change things around a bit. And well, you're going to see... Um, uh, small groups are going to uh, change uh, as we do um, part of that exciting vision of building the house. But what I want to do tonight is kind of set the, the groundwork as to what's driving our momentum, what's driving me to this point here. And this church has, um, as you would uh, appreciate, core values. We, we have core values which we write down those values measure everything that we do. And so everything that we want to do, our vision, our faith, our, our work, everything that we aim to do, we do them according to the measurement of our values. If they don't fit our values, then we don't do them. Does that make sense? And so we live according to values, a critical part of your own life. You live according to your values. And these are our values. Presence of God, faith, Training, family, generosity, relevance, worship, community. But there are three values that I want to concentrate on because you, as you go through the year, we off, what we do is we, we highlight certain values that we want to just lift up a little bit beyond the other values. We want all of the values to be critical, but some of them we just lift up a bit and say, this is what we want people to see and understand is important through the life of the church for this year. And there are three that we want to do for the church. And this is the Word of God, prayer, and discipleship. And we want to build the church according to those functions. We really believe that God is, is wanting us to build according to His Word, according to the prayer of faith and, and people seeking God and really calling on his name. The prayer meetings have been life-changing. They've been the best prayer meetings. I'm telling you, the best prayer meetings we've ever had in the church. And, and I really encourage you to, to come along. We've got one more this coming Wednesday. Um, hopefully, I won't be there. And I mean that by the fact that I'm supposed to be in Turkey. I leave, we, Cheryl and I leave for Turkey on Tuesday. Cheryl's passport arrived. Mine hasn't. I've got one day. So if it doesn't turn up, the postie comes about half nine. If he doesn't knock on the door at half nine saying, sign this, I'm going to chase him down and, and slash his tires or something. I'm going to, 
I'm gonna, and then I'll have to phone up and say, where is it? And if they say it's in the post, I'm finished. Uh, but if they say we've still got it, I'll see if I can chase down and get it on Monday. That will be, that was my only option. Um, but if they, none of those are options, we don't go to Turkey. And uh, so, and we're going, you understand it's work. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's only five degrees, so it's not like, it's just like Scotland. <laughs> so one of the things that we, um, we really want to establish, the Word of God, as I say, prayer and discipleship. And discipleship is really the process of developing the Word and developing prayer in your life in a mature and consistent way. That's discipleship. It's growing in God. It's maturing God. It's walking the journey that Christ takes us on and encouraging and inspiring one another to mature in the faith and understanding the Word uh, and understanding how to know the Word. I, I want to take this church on the, an adventure of unlocking the Word of God and discovering the Word in your life. Many people say to me, I wish I read the Bible more. Well, I guarantee we're always going to get people saying, I wished I read the Bible more, until we make you. <laughs> I say make in a small m, you know, it's not like we're going to make you. But we're going to structure the church so that we're having, we're reading the Bible more, and we're understanding more about the Word of God. You know, this is one of the scriptures that has really been motivating me. In Acts chapter 17, Acts 17.10 through to verse 12 says this, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were fair-minded, more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. And there are key aspects of this scripture that I want us to take you on. Paul and Silas went to Berea. When they went there, they were running away, really, from the persecution of building the church in, Thess uh, in Thessalonica. When they had built the church there, they, they had done it the hard way. They had resisted the persecution of the Jews and there was a lot of fighting and, but they had built a church nevertheless and matured it and were able to pass it on uh, to those people they had raised and then they, um, they discovered there was a plot for their lives and they had to leave quickly at night time. And so Paul and Silas leave Thessalonica, a difficult place where they established the church amongst difficult people. People who clearly, as they say here, weren't fair-minded um, and certainly weren't noble. And it says here, it says in verse 11, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. That word fair-minded actually in the King James, I believe it is, says they were noble men. 
And I love that word noble because it, it literally means of a better birth. Um, we've got to understand that, that we are of a better birth. We're noble. I, when I was a kid growing up, um, one of my sort of mother's mantras was that... One of my mother's, one of my mother's mantras. <laughs> there wasn't a full stop there. One of my mother's mantras was that we, we might be poor, but we're still posh. Now, we were only posh in her own mind. There was no way this was posh. And, but there were sort of two families that my father's family, the Upton family, um, my father was the youngest of eight, and um, his father was the uh, youngest of uh, 13, and um, I'm the youngest of six. <laughs> Boaz is the youngest of... He's the youngest of the youngest of the youngest. I said, Boaz, you are blessed above all of them. And, uh, and um, so we have this... And my, my grandfather was an uh, um, incredible uh, businessman, but the Upton family was um, you know, a big family, sort of rural background. You could describe us as agricultural. And uh, it's probably the best way of kind of the way that we treated life. And um, then my mother's side, my, my grandfather was a tailor. Um, and, but he, he was uh, very uh, refined. Uh, he was the epitome of the perfect English gentleman. And he, um, he always wore a suit um, right up until his dying day. Um, he always had impeccable manners. He was filled with absolute generosity. There was a, there was a twinkle in his eye and a, a love of God. He was actually baptized in the Holy Spirit. We didn't understand that at the time, but it was in later years because they attended what was known as the Strict Baptist Church, which, wasn't, which was like Baptist but sitting on barbed wire. And, <laughs> and uh, so... Um, they, they were raised in uh, strict Baptist. My, my father was actually raised in something even worse called like, gospel standard, which I think was like barbed wire Baptist, but with whips. And um, they didn't even have musical instruments, and they weren't allowed to talk or play with people who weren't gospel standard, which was just about everybody. And... And uh, so, but yeah, my, my grandfather, he was raised, by, but he had such a, an experience of the Holy Spirit. And it was actually, uh, we discovered later, that quite, well, not common, but um, I met another pastor who had visions of heaven and angels. And uh, he was the pastor of a Baptist, strict Baptist church that was like this severe, but he had four or five hundred people in his church. And they used to have the police would come and do the traffic for the church. Uh, just up the road from where we lived, and and um, and they came because he just had something of God in his life. And my grandfather was like that. But he was a he was just filled with the Spirit, and he was just a, a had a beautiful spirit. This is my mother's um, my mother's father, and the Hill family. The Hill family um, came from aristocracy uh, in the 19th century. All got disinherited through um, the Hill. Um, marrying the, um, it was a little bit like, um, what's that recent, Downton Abbey, yeah. He, he married uh, one of the uh, servants and uh, had two children and was disinherited. 
And um, so that's where our family line came from. That disinheritance. <laughs> we went to the... Uh, and uh, he, at least he married her. And uh, yeah. <laughs> he did the decent thing. Actually, he only did the decent thing for a while because then she died. Uh, he then married a lady so-and-so and disinherited his boys uh, and they had nothing. And then he had more children and they inherited the family line. So, But we probably wouldn't be here today if that hadn't have happened. So... So, hallelujah. <laughs> you get, you're getting the family tree tonight, aren't you? <laughs> and all, I tell you what, there's, uh, there's some stories in there, I can tell you. And, and so, my mother believed that we were no noble people. Um, actually, on the hillside of the family, the original hill uh, was a man... Um, who, what's the family name? Um, it'll come to me. He, um, he started, he used to lend money to King Henry VIII. And he owned all of um, uh, Staffordshire uh, and parts of the other counties as well. And uh, he was a trader in um, uh, cotton and uh, materials. He was a merchant. And uh, he was so wealthy, but he was known as uh, the pastor of the county because he never once threw any of his tenants out of any of the houses and he would, whenever they were poor they, he would take them into the house his own huge mansion, he would feed them uh, and then he would preach the gospel to them and uh, ever since one of his children um, great grandchildren, sort of great 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 grandfather of mine was uh, known as um, Daddy General um, but he worked, served with um, Wellington uh, he was a general in the British Army, and he was known as a daddy within the army because he was so fatherly, uh, and he was another godly man. And uh, so we've got, I've got roots, and uh, <laughs> despite the fact I've been disinherited from them, but I've got roots, and, and there's nobility. And nobility is the, is the description that you were born from better breeding, that you had something better given to you by birth, and that you were raised in something which caused you as a person to be noble. And to be noble, you had to walk, you had to not just be born noble, but you had to be noble. And to be noble is to live in honesty and integrity and uprightness. It's to live in an intelligent and inquisitive way that understood mankind and gave them a platform to be able to listen to them and to hear them and to perceive what it is they're saying. And so these men here, of these Jews in Berea, they were men of nobility. It actually says in 1 Samuel 2 verse 8, it says, He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the beggar from the ash heap and he sets them among princes. It actually, it's the same word, he sets them amongst the noble to make them inherit the throne of glory for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. And that is basically saying God takes people from the world and he sets them amongst the noble. You are born of better breeding because you've been born again. And we are the noble ones and the noble ones are ones who are fair-minded, able to search out and understand the Word of God. 
In other words, the men of Berea were people who gave themselves to learning, who gave themselves to inquiring, who gave themselves to understanding what it was that God was saying, not living with blinkered minds and shut thoughts and, and, and traditional thinking. You know, the men of Thessalonica, they weren't fair-minded and they weren't noble. What they were was insecure, jealous, afraid of someone taking over their patch, not wanting to know or understand what it was that God was really saying. They were just like the Jews um, in, in Israel, just like the Jews in Jerusalem, and they were insecure, trying to protect their patch. They weren't at all interested in what it was that God had to say. And so, you know what, I'm amazed how many people, they come to church and they find God, but they stop asking questions, they stop learning and they say enough is enough this is my patch uh, just don't, don't mess with it don't mess with my world, don't mess, this is, this is what I do, this is who I am don't mess with it and when that happens, you know what's going to happen it's going to get messed with and there's only one destiny you've got left and that's to become a, a grumpy person <laughs> A person bitter and grumpy and insecure and, and just miserable in every way. I heard recently of a pastor um, down in London who was just sacked by his church. And um, it, um, and Julia, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I'm just telling the story. And uh, he was sacked by his church and he, he's been a successful pastor, but they said of him, he is the most bitter, mean-spirited, insecure, jealous person they have ever met. Pastor. <laughs> what happened? I have no idea. I, I don't know the man. I can't comment on what's gone on in his life. But, you know, the testimony of two or three witnesses... And what would happen? What would cause that to happen to someone? Well, they stopped learning. They started deciding that their little patches, that this is theirs, and this is what they do, and this is what they know, and they stopped asking of the Lord, and they stopped listening, having a fair mind, being noble, because we were born of noble birth. We have to live in a noble way. Amen? And see, over this next year, I want us to really explore and expound Scripture, but I want us to do so in a way that God is beginning to speak into your hearts and that you're not just being taught something, but you're learning through reading. And you're reading the Word. We're not just, we won't do so much. I won't say we won't do, we won't do so much topical study, but we'll do more uh, textual. And that is reading the Bible and reading the Word so that we understand what the Word is saying rather than just following a, 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 a narrow Topic And sometimes we'll have to deal with topics because that's what we want to teach. But we want people to understand the Scripture and how the Scripture speaks in such a powerful way right through our lives. Amen? And, and so, you know, I want us to understand that it says of them that they search the Scriptures. And you know, there's childlike faith, but there's no such thing as blind faith now this is important there's childlike faith but there's no such thing as blind faith now when I teach and when we teach the word this is what you do 
you go back and you read the Word and you understand it for yourself, understanding as it's been taught to you, you see, to have faith is, requires two things. To have faith in Christ is one, to believe in Jesus Christ and then to get to know Him through His Word. If you want to get to know Him without His Word, you never will. That's called trying to experience Him. But the experience of Christ is revealed through His Word because He is the Word. If you want to know Him, He is the Word. Read the Word and you will know Jesus Christ. And so I want us to understand that as we build a church and build a a generation, that in this generation we become stronger in our confession of the Word, stronger in our understanding of Scripture, and able to withstand when the enemy comes against us. The Bible says we have a two-edged sword in our hand, that we have a a sword upon which we are able to divide between soul, um, uh, between uh, spirit and soul, soul and spirit, yeah, joint and marrow, um, Hebrews 4, 12. 12, 4, or 4, 12, yeah, it was, yeah. Ooh, that was close. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> that's what comes when you ad lib. That's not good. And because um, <laughs> when you ad lib, there's this always thought, supposing I'm wrong, I'm going to look really stupid right now. And then that starts closing your mind going, maybe I am wrong. Perhaps I am. I am wrong. Oh, no. Actually, I wasn't. <laughs> you know, you see, the Bible says that the word is a sword upon which we are able to deal with every situation. The sword is about the implementation of the authority of the Word of God in your life. The sword was an implementing instrument. A soldier was only able to fight when the sword was ultimately in his hand. Without the sword, without the sword, he's not really a soldier. He might look like a soldier, but he, he's... he's, he's He can only stand his ground, but he can't fight his ground. Eventually, he's going to be taken out. You see, what we want is a generation who know how to fight according to the Word of God, who know how to stand on the truth, who know how to to believe the Word, read the Word, and begin to live it according to the revelation of what Jesus Christ is saying. And let that revelation, because let me tell you this, that the Bible says the enemy is an accuser of the brethren. But it says that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the, the word of your testimony. See, this is true. The devil can tell you all sorts of things. He can tell you all sorts of lies. He can say all sorts of things about your life. But he can't rob from you but what you know is true. Your word of your testimony is, I know this is true because this is what I've read, this is what I've understood, and this is what I have lived in. Because the word isn't just read, it's also lived in. In other words, when we read the word, we live the word. We don't just write it down and have a confession without an experience. The experience will always follow a revelation. You will live according to the word of your testimony. The devil can't rob from you what you know to be true. He can tell somebody else all sorts of things. We've experienced um, the enemy has tried to come in the church sometimes and 
spread a little lie and somebody, but people who don't know, don't know the truth. But when you know the truth, you can expose it as a lie. You see, we overcome by knowing the truth. We overcome by knowing the Word of God. And I want to inspire you to, to when you wake up tomorrow morning and think you're busy, give yourself a little bit more time to just read the Word of God. Get into His Word and just read. Well, how do I read? Just like this. Well, suppose it doesn't say anything to me. It will. The Word is alive. He will speak to you. It doesn't have to say something to you right there. Angels don't have to sing. You don't have to feel the unction of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to go, It doesn't have to happen that way. I mean, if it does, it's awesome, right? But what happens is that the Word comes out of you. I've found this. The Word is so ingrained in me because it's been a part of my life that I've discovered that in any given situation, Scripture comes up. Now, I only know the Scripture when I need the Scripture. But I've found the Scripture is always there. Because you read the Word, you soak up the Word, and the Word is in you. When you read the Word, let me tell you something. You're reading something which is alive. It's not dead, it's alive. Well, I don't remember it. doesn't matter. You might get home and not remember what you read. But I'm telling you, you read it, you fed upon it, and it's working in you. I guarantee that come a point of pressure, that scripture will come back. Now, it's good to read it and read it again. It's good to know that you're able to recite it. I'm not so good at reciting stuff. Um, I'm just not. But <laughs> I, <laughs> I changed the interpretation. I, I add my own words. So. But it's good to be able to know the word. And to be able to, Cheryl's grandfather was able to recite the Psalm 119. And uh, just amazing, the word of God. Um, something that he was raised as a child to do. And to, to understand that was part of their Sunday school training when they were children. Recite the Psalms. My father was brought up, his, one of his gifts as a, uh, as a boy um, from his mother was a hymn book. Great parenting. <laughs> so, woo look what I've got, a hymn book. And, uh, uh, but, you know, it's not like he can compare it against an iPad or anything like that. There wasn't that much exciting stuff going around. So, <laughs> a stick and a wheel, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, I've got a stick and a wheel. I've got a hymn book, you know. At least I can clout you. <laughs> and he... He had this hymn book. And I remember many years later when we were in a, a church and I had never heard my father pray out loud. Uh, he was a very quiet man. I'd never really heard him pray, apart from at the table and um, at bedtime, that kind of thing. But I'd never heard him pray personal prayer in a prayer meeting. I'd never heard him pray. And we're in this prayer meeting in church on a Sunday night. And it was a small church and they had, they used to, it was, the, it was the church I used to go to where they used to bring the, the dead people and they would bring them out and pump them up and all these old people would come to church. So there was about 15 old people that come and they go like that and they would sit in the chair like this. Like that and then they would just let their air out and take them back to their rooms. And so 
it was this old sort of church, and they had this old church, these people, and we're in this sort of prayer meeting, and I was there as the youth, and, and, and we're praying together, and my father stands up to pray. I'm like, oh my word. I've never seen this before. He, he was actually internally quite shy, and um, struggled many years to get over the courage of just being baptized, and he only actually got baptized because... Um, the pastor who was doing a baptism service looked at my father and said, Dennis, do you want to get baptized? And my dad went, yeah. And just right there and then got baptized and uh, then had nothing to wear home. And, uh, <laughs> and so and that was my dad, you know. It was like he, he, he just struggled with the, the thought of what people would think, just being able to cope with those things. And he stands up and he starts reciting hymns that he hasn't read for 40, 50 years. And in him was hymns after hymns after hymns, songs written based on Scripture. And the Word of God would flow out of him and he would just recite this whole... I'm, like, I'm looking at him going, the man's a flipping genius. I didn't even know. I didn't. It's like all this stuff would come and you would only ever hear it in the prayer meeting. You know, he would just, it was just when the, an atmosphere of faith and he would get the courage and he would stand up and he would start to speak these beautiful um, sort of poems, as it were, sort of from a, an older generation where they would recite poems and, and people would be moved. <laughs> but they were so beautiful and it was like, it, you know, we can give ourselves to the reading of the Word and our lives can be changed. If you read it, it will get into you. You know, when, the, when they came to Berea and they went to the synagogue, I love the fact they'd been to Thessalonica, they went to the synagogue, they preached the gospel, they got beaten up. They got all kinds of trouble. So they escape and they get to Berea and they go, what should we do? Let's preach the gospel in the synagogue. That really works. <laughs> and they go to the synagogue and they start preaching the gospel and they meet these people. And in verse 12, it starts with one of my favorite words in the New Testament. Therefore. I love therefore. Therefore is one of the most powerful words in the New Testament. Because the therefore is what it's there for. <laughs> the therefore <laughs> describes what went before. It is as a result. It is the word that implies... This is cause and effect. That happened, therefore this happened. They did this, therefore this is what happened. And that's whenever I read a therefore, it, it sets something alight. Because therefore, something happens. Cause and effect. They met people of a fair mind with a noble heart, living nobly, able to receive, search scripture, read the word, understand revelation, and understand that it was true, and something broke out. And it says here, it says, therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks. Now, you've got to understand this. He's in a synagogue. These are not the Greeks, these are the Jews. They're in a synagogue and the men started to hear the word and they believed. And it changed the city. Not just what happens in here. See, see, when we believe and understand the word, we change what's going on out there. 
because the word has power to change people's lives. It says here, look at this, it says, this is, I love the way the Bible sort of understates stuff. Therefore, many of them believed and also not a few of the Greeks. In other words, loads of Greeks got saved, prominent women as well as men. And that's also a critical verse because what that says is this. It says that when the Word of God is preached and it's read and it's searched and it's shared with one another, when the sword of the Spirit is lifted up before man, God moves in such a powerful way that he sets a city free, saving families, saving husbands, saving wives, empowering them, touching them, and moving amongst them. Nobody can escape the changing, empowering Word of God that touches people's lives. And what happened? You see, the synagogue is kind of a representation of the church, closed off. Here they have a synagogue closed off. They're just Jews. They've never heard the Word of God. They're shut out from the world. They've got their traditions and they've got their beliefs. But Paul turns up with the Word revealed, the mystery. And this is something that I I want you to understand that, you see, when Paul came, he understood the mystery of the Gospel. It was about the unfolding of the mystery. That was his mission. To reveal the mystery of the Word of God. And the Jews lived in a cloud, not understanding the mystery. And they would pore over this, the, the scriptures and they would talk to one another and they would argue scripture with, again, with each other. It was this, it's a constant, even today, it's a constant debate in their lives about the word of God. But they lived with a veil over them, not able to understand it. But Paul says, I met Jesus on the road to Damascus and I understood and got a revelation of the mystery. I want you to know the mystery of the gospel too. When we we read the word, the mystery is revealed. And so Paul, he teaches them. It says actually in Ephesians 3, 8, 13, it says this. Ephesians 3 says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of grace, Christ. And make to all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God may be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask you that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. He speaks to them about that we would make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. It sounds like something from Lord of the Rings. And the fellowship of the mystery is literally the church of Jesus Christ who's met the church who have met with Jesus Christ and have got a revelation of that salvation and the fullness of who we are in Him. That's the fellowship. We are the fellowship of the mystery. We could call ourselves the church of the fellowship of the mystery. It'd be quite kind of creepy. 
And uh, <laughs> but it says here, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God may be made known by the church to the principalities and powers. Why? Because when we understand the word of God, we're able to position ourselves correctly in our spiritual places. The Bible says that we sit with Christ in where heavenly places. Who do we speak to? Principalities and powers in heavenly places. Well, I want to tell you, there isn't room for both of us. There's not room for both of us. Either we sit in heavenly places or they sit in heavenly places. But I'm not sharing my heavenly place with that. Are you with me here? By revelation, I understand my place in Jesus Christ. There are principalities and the powers. There are works of, of wickedness which seek to destroy the spiritual realm. Why did Berea have a move of God? Why? Because the, uh, the, the Jews in the synagogue got a revelation. It changed the spiritual atmosphere. Principalities moved, uh, were moved and they were positioned in a place where a whole city could be saved. How? Because they read the Word. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that like so mind-numbingly simple? But they didn't read it for legalism to argue. Paul says, don't argue over Scripture. They read it for the revelation. They read it for the empowerment. They read it to receive the life of it, that it might change their lives. They heard and they read and they searched it out and their lives were transformed because they understood what God was saying to them. And I want to say to you, this is a driving unction of my heart for this church as we take it into this new season that we start to teach and raise a generation that are confident in the Word of God, that read the Word of God, that are searching out the Word of God, that are encouraging each other to read the Word and to inspiring one another through Scripture to learn and to ask questions and to to give revelation and to walk in the humility of nobility that says we are not small-minded, we're not trying to protect our own corner, we're not trying to defend what it is we think we know. We're asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the fullness of His Word because the principalities and the powers have got to shift and make room for a whole heap of people who are coming on up to take their place. We're moving into the high places, moving into the realm of the Spirit. The spiritual realm is our realm. It's our realm. That's where we live. When I pray, I pray for the church, but I speak to the realm of the spirit. I speak into the spirit realm. I let them know that I know what they wished I didn't. Amen. (laughs) I let them know that I know the secret that they didn't want let out that we have been touched by His grace, redeemed by His blood, empowered by His Spirit, filled 
with his breath, holding his word. Creative, restoring, transforming, life-changing. A word which we can use to build, to heal, to see whole families saved and restored. And there is not a devil in hell that can stop you. Who will understand the devil? The Bible says the devil goes around like a roaring lion. Goes around like a roaring lion. I want you to know this. Roaring lions are only roaring to frighten you. Hunting lions don't roar. Hunting lions don't roar. They creep up and they bite your bum. (laughs) If they were roaring, you would know they were there. The devil goes around like a roaring lion. Why? Because he wants to intimidate you into thinking you can't do what you've been called to do. You've been here to shut down. A roaring lion. There's nothing more stupid than a roaring lion when you've got something more powerful that can take it out. The lion roars because he thinks it's what is his authority. But we know we have a greater authority, which is the roar of the Holy Spirit. It is the roar of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God that flows through us. His word that is so equipping, so overwhelming in us. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.thejunctionchurch.com or come along and see for yourself in one of our services.